1: Shalom, lovers of the Torah, and thank you for choosing to listen to Torah Talk. I'm your host, Pastor Mark. It's great to be with you in this podcast. I will be sharing on the tragedy of Noah's flood and what we can learn from it. It is the second of three catastrophic falls of humanity recorded in the Bible. In studying this event, we can learn much about God and ourselves. So thanks for joining me. Keep in mind that this is a midrash and not to be construed as a doctrinal statement or theological treatise on the subject. I'm simply wrestling with the passages to better inform you as well as myself. And I reserve the right to change my mind on my ideas as I grow in the grace and knowledge of the Messiah. I'm going to be working from um, the JPS translation. So the verses that I am citing are from the JPS translation, a Jewish translation for Jewish people. And I think this is a a rock solid translation. And, and so I've chosen that to kind of do the show and hope you enjoy it. Okay. So let's look at the first three major falls of humanity as recorded in the word of God. The first fall was Genesis three. And of course that dealt with Adam and Eve, uh, in the garden, they rebelled against God. They chose to go their own ways. They listened to the shining one, uh, the serpent, um, whom, whom later, uh, is given the name Satan, um, but they, in that rebellion against God, gave up their right to rule and reign over the creation. They lost their relationship with God. They were evicted from their home and their property, i.e. they were booted out of the Garden of Eden. And, of course, there was upheaval, upheaval as a result of that in their role assignments, in their uh, relationship with one another, uh, in their reproduction of human life, and uh, also in, in earning a living. There was tremendous consequences for that rebellion against the creator. The second great fall of humanity is recorded in Genesis chapter six. And of course, uh, this deals with humanity's preoccupation with evil and wickedness as seen in their sexual immorality and widespread gratuitous violence. It had actually filled the world of their day. The result was judgment. Um, What we have here in the second A fall is the judgment of the flood, Noah's flood. Um, There was widespread catastrophic devastation and death that resulted from that judgment. The third major fall of humanity is recorded in Genesis chapter 11. It's the Tower of Babel. At that point, God confounded their languages and he scattered everyone. Uh, Those are the three great falls within biblical literature. Now, what I want to do, is I want to look at the second rebellion and fall of humanity. This is uh, uh, described as Noah's flood. Uh, so turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to work down through the first 18 verses. So it opens up by stating that, quote, When men began to increase on earth, and daughters were born to them, the divine beings saw how beautiful the daughters of men were and took wives from among those that pleased them. The Lord said, My breath shall not abide in man forever, since he too is flesh. Let the days allowed him be 120 years. It was then and later too that the Nephilim appeared on earth when the divine beings cohabitated with the daughters of men who bore them offspring. They were the heroes of old, the men of renown. So, uh, here we have the opening uh, context for uh, why God is going to bring this worldwide flood uh, in Noah's day. Notice there's a, a sex going on between the natural and spiritual realm, between natural beings and divine beings. Uh, man has always been fascinated with the supernatural and vice versa. The supernatural has always been fascinated with human beings in the natural realm. So sex outside of your species was and remains an abomination. It's a perversion. And yet uh, what we have here is is this uh, uh, sexual uh, immorality taking place between divine beings and human beings. Uh, This posed a great threat to the human genome or to human DNA. This was truly a perversion, and uh, it was actually gaining God's attention. I want to look at verse number five. It says, it goes on to say, the Lord saw how great was man's wickedness on earth and how every plan devised by his mind was nothing but evil all the time. That's what characterized the world of Noah's day. Narcissism ruled the day. And and to be honest with you, not much has changed since that time. You can just read like any of the news headlines on any given day. And you can just see around the globe, uh, this narcissism, both within, uh, people's hearts and even within, uh, um, institutions and, uh, uh, businesses. It's just, it's, it's just shocking to read that. I mean, you just read it for yourself, you know, I mean, it's, it's there for everyone to see. Now, I want to say that the believer is an exception to this standard of narcissism that is all around us, and when I talk about the believer, I'm talking about a human being who loves God, isn't isn't perfect in any way or in any sense, uh, but is a lover of God and is is by the grace of God, um, you know, looking to serve Him and to serve each other and to uh, be a caretaker of the of the planet uh, that was given to us. Uh, believers are the exception to the rule. Uh, Back in the days of Noah, I don't think there was a lot of believers. In fact, the way that this is described is that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he was a believer, and there weren't any others. I mean, it's presumed that he was like the only one. Uh, Let me go on. We'll develop this as we go forward. Verse 6, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and his heart was saddened. The Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the men whom I created men together with beasts, creeping things, the birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Now this is, uh, you know, truly and remarkably shocking when you think about it, we have this optimistic loving creator who is now filled with sadness in his regret of making human beings. Now, this never ends well when you think about that. When the Creator, who is optimistic and full of love, is now depressed due to the widespread violence, the widespread immorality, the wickedness, and the evil that is just continually in the hearts of, of those that He created, let me tell you, that's not going to end well. Not, not for human beings. When I think of human trafficking in our world today, I'm ashamed of humanity and when I think of the Holocaust, for instance, uh, that had taken place, uh, not too long ago, you know, I'm ashamed of humanity when I think today of ISIS and what they do to, to Christians and, and to women and to little girls, I see the worst in humanity. Uh, no wonder God wanted to wipe everyone out. When we look at widespread evil, um, it, it, it saddens all of us who believe in God. It is, it is a very uh, depressing thing and overwhelming thing. When we consider how widespread evil is today, let me go on verse eight. Now, Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the line of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his age. Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. So there we have it. Noah found favor with God. He was blameless in his age. In the day that he was living, he was a pretty righteous guy. He loved God. He wasn't perfect, of course, but he loved God. He had a relationship with God. And this gave him favor with God. This is going to be the salvation of Noah, that he has favor with God. And what can we learn about that? Well, the first question we have to ask ourselves is this: Do we have relationship with God? Do we love God? Because if we don't love God and we're just into ourselves, invariably we're going to in the end hurt others, hurt the planet we live on, and hurt ourselves. And that level of evil and wickedness never gains the favor of God. And if there's one thing we need in our lives, in this dark world that we live in, it's the favor of God. We need the favor of God. We need to be like Noah, a lover of God, not perfect but a lover of God who has relationship with God. Verses 11 through 13. The earth became corrupt before God. The earth was filled with lawlessness. When God saw how corrupt the earth was, for all flesh had corrupted its way on the earth, God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with lawlessness because of them. I am about to destroy them with the earth. Think about it. Widespread greed, widespread pride, lust, violence, all of these things filling the earth in the days of Noah. And God had had enough. He decided to annihilate humankind and the area that he lived in with a local but universal flood. Verse 14 through 18. He goes on to say, "Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make it an ark with compartments and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, with its uh, width fifty cubits and its height thirty cubits. Make an opening for daylight in the ark and terminate it within a cubit above of the top. Put the entrance to the ark in its side. Make it with bottom, second, and third decks. For my part." I'm about to bring the flood waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh under the sky in which there is breath of life. Everything on earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark with your sons, your wife and your son's wives. So a flood, a flood on the land they had occupied. Mankind, at this point, they were all in one geographical area at this time. They had not scattered throughout the earth. That was part of the problem. Um, But they were all together at this time in one area. And this is the area in which Noah lived, of course. And so it would just take a local flood uh, uh, that would be very, very large, by the way. But regardless, it, it was a flood that would destroy every human being, a universal flood that would destroy every human being, destroying the world in Noah's day. Every human being and all the associated soulish animals that lived on that landmass with humanity. Only Noah and his family would survive. Now I want to fast forward to the post-flood account. So turn with me to chapter 8. And I'm going to begin in verse 14. I'm going to read through verse 17. And in the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. God spoke to Noah saying, come out of the ark together with your wife, your sons and your son's wives bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you birds and animals and everything that creeps on the earth. Let them swarm on the earth and be fertile and increase on the earth. Now, this is remarkable. Think about that. This is remarkable because this is a part of that that essential mandate that he had given to Adam and Eve earlier. And that mandate to be fruitful and fill the earth is now being given to Noah and his family. And when you think about it, Noah is kind of the new Adam. He's the the beginning of a new humanity. Humanity has been destroyed. Only Noah and his family exist. And God's saying, now you pick up. What I had given originally to Adam and Eve, this mandate to fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth. So this is the beginning of humanity once again, verses 18 through 20. So Noah came out together with his sons, his wife and his son's wives, every animal, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that stirs on the earth came out of the ark by families. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking of every clean animal and every clean bird, he offered burnt offerings on the altar. Wow. Note well that Noah understood the distinction between clean and unclean. This is very important. It's it's a topic for another time. But even as early as Noah, he understood the distinction between clean and unclean when it came to sacrifice. His sacrifices, by the way, to God— Uh, They were an act of worship, which tells us a lot about Noah and his relationship with God. Verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing odor, and the Lord said to himself, Never again will I doom the earth because of man, since his devisings of man's mind are evil from his youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living being as I have done. Wow. God regrets destroying human and animal life as well as the environment in which they lived. This tells us some profound things about God. God, in his anger, decided to destroy humanity, the associated uh, nephesh animals, the soulish animals, as well as the environment in which uh, humanity and the animals lived. And he regrets that. He, 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 he wished that he had not done that. He stands back uh, post-flood and realizes that what he did was something he wished he had not done. That's huge, people. Think about that. He also says, I'll never do this again. I will never again do this. This was the first and last type of this kind of judgment. God regretted it. God was, um, was hurt in a sense by his own actions. And from his viewpoint, he regretted it. That tells us about the heart of God, that his heart is not about judging and judgment, but rather about saving us. He wants to save us destroying us is not in the heart of God. Verse 22, he goes on to say, so as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So here's five takeaways. In our summary uh, today, I I just want to give us five takeaways from Noah's flood. The first one, the flood was a horrific judgment on a world that was corrupt and degraded in every way. Number two, even though it was justified to destroy humanity, the souls, animals associated with humanity and the environment in which man lived, it broke God's heart. The third takeaway, he vowed never to do this again. Never. It broke his heart. He regretted it. He wished he had not done it. And he, he, he vows to himself, I will never do this again. He, he in a sense, makes an oath in his heart to, to ensure that he would never do that again. That tells us something great and beautiful and wonderful about God, right? Which brings us to the fourth point, fourth takeaway. Today, God is working hard to make sure Since the days of Noah all the way through today, God is working hard to make sure everyone has plenty of opportunities to repent and receive mercy and forgiveness from God. Our fifth and final takeaway, God offers life instead of death. God wants us to have life, not death. God's plan for us is life and life eternal in a perfect world, a recreated world. That's his heart. That's what God desires, not to destroy us, but to save us. And this comes in, in a, 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 you know a word picture that's probably greater than any other one that we could have. And that is the cross event of his son. That is the greatest picture of love that, that he would lay down his lives to pay for our sins, to make an atonement, to pay for our sins, so that instead of being judged and perishing, we could be saved and live forever. So I'm going to leave you with John 3:16 16 and, and, and 17 it says, for God, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. What about you? Are you narcissistic? Do you live only for yourself and at others' expense? Let me tell you, it's not too late to turn to God for help. Noah did, and God saved him and his loved ones. So the question is, is what are you waiting for? Repent of your narcissistic ways and turn back to God and be saved. I did this nearly 40 years, years ago. I have no regrets. Well, I actually do. I have one regret. I didn't do it earlier. I wish I had done it earlier in my life. I used to live for myself. It was all about me at other people's expense. And then I realized that God is love and that the nature of love is is to really uh, love others. And so I gave my life to God. I, I turned my heart to God and I received his son and I was saved. And I no longer live for myself. I live for him and for others. I'm not perfect, but my focus and emphasis is about him and about others. So I want to encourage you today. Embrace his son. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Embrace Him today as your atonement, and you too will escape the coming wrath. That concludes our program for this week. A special thanks to our great King, Yeshua the Messiah, our listeners and supporters for making this podcast possible through your prayers and financial giving. Thank you. Know that in your prayers and giving, you are partnering with us as we advance the kingdom of Messiah in Israel, the United States, and throughout the world. We're a highly rated and listened to Messianic podcast on iTunes under the category of Judaism. Subscribe now. Pray with us. Give financially and share the vision and power of this podcast with everyone you know. Baruch Hashem. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm your host, Pastor Mark. And until our next show. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Shalom.
0: Torah Talk has been brought to you by The Harvest a Messianic Charismatic Congregation located at 8891 Hose Boulevard in Thornton, Colorado. Your host has been Pastor Mark McClellan. Join us for Sabbath services at 1pm next Saturday afternoon. For more information, please call us at 303-761-9948 or visit our website at www.graftedin.com. God bless you and Shalom.